Hey queens, welcome back to another episode of Crown Thoughts, the podcast. I am your host, Latina, and we are in our second episode of the second season. You know, it's funny because I had these notes written out for this specific topic months ago. And when I say months ago, like back in February, um, I I love to journal. I love to write down. I love to take notes. And so sometimes I come up with ideas and things and then I won't go back to it for months. And in this situation, it really just worked out for me because a lot has happened in the last two to three weeks in the rap industry, right? And let me just say this before I really begin. I am nowhere, no shape or form a music critic. Uh, I do love music. Music is one of my passions. Uh, At the end of the day, I'm just a fan like everyone else out here. And I just enjoy good music. So with that being said, we know that Drake dropped his new album this week, Certified Lover Boy. And I guess he recently did an interview with Apple and he had quoted that this album is a combination of toxic masculinity and acceptance of truth, which is inevitably heartbreaking, end quote. Which got me thinking, in what ways does today's culture on masculinity really impact the Black man's perception of mental health? And so, yes, I, I have to bring in some psychology into this, but we're really going to... Just pick and prod at this rap beef between Drake and Kanye, but also really just come to understanding what toxic masculinity is, how it's played out, how it affects our our black and brown children, and how we're going to get this to stop. So with that being said, let's get into today's topic. Hey queens, welcome to Crown Thoughts, the podcast, a safe space for women of all kinds and for women of all walks of life to come together and chat. Crown Thoughts, the podcast is a movement of vibes, which encourages its listeners to dig deep and reflect. So with that being said, let's get into today's topic. Before I begin, I just want to say and really just disclose that this episode is not in any way to bash the males or bash the black male. In fact, I'm hoping that this episode can educate and empower the community as a whole and so that we can continue to do the work of advocacy And really just standing up for our rights and understanding who we are as people and understanding who our power is. So what is toxic masculinity? Some of you may not have known that this is an actual uh, psychological term uh, defined by the psychiatrist Terry Cupers. Um, It was created in a 2005 study of men who were in prison and really, we're just showing a constellation of socially regressive male traits that 
the purpose was just to foster this idea of domination, to devalue women, uh, to promote a culture of homophobia, and really highlight this baton of violence. So imagine these men in the prison systems and everything that is occurring around them, in them, through them, it undermines the scope of what is supposed to be the human experience. If we look at the traditional definition of masculinity in the U.S., there's a history of men just ejecting from their minds anything that undermines their idea of what it means to be a man. And when we think about what it means or what undermines what it means to be a man, that is also largely associated with the identity of the female, the femininity. So we have these two different perceptions that are constantly clashing. I have to be a man. I have to be strong. I have to be powerful. I'm going to regress anything that is going to show vulnerability, is that is going to show that I am weak or just shows that I have a better understanding of my emotions. Many men, arguably, and again, this is not to bash, but many men struggle with the idea of being open, with being vulnerable and just sharing their thoughts and feelings. And for those who grew up as a sensitive boy, we know what that's all about. They are often subject to taunting, ridicule, being picked on, being named weak. Uh, The names could be much worse than that, and I'm not going to say that on this site. However, you are put to shame for expressing natural, healthy ways of saying how you feel. I myself have my own children. I am a mother of two boys. Their ages are 12 and 5. And for each of my sons, like earlier on when I was pregnant with them during their neonatal development, I really had a good understanding of just who they are and what their personalities would be before they were even born. Some may ask, how do you know this? Like, how are you so aware? And really, their temperament started to show in my own mood and the way that I would carry myself throughout each of my pregnancies. So fast forward, they're born and (laughs) they're growing, they're thriving. I'm momming and, and parenting and just figuring out this whole motherhood thing. But as that's occurring, I start to observe these little humans who are just finding ways to express their emotions. And they're not taught by me. They're they're innate. My youngest son, he's very rambunctious, outspoken. So you can imagine he has no issues with being expressive. He will cry. He will pout, laugh, scream. He's excited. He's angry. You can see it. I mean, from the facial expressions, the body posture, everything is suggestive to what he is feeling, Right. Now, if you examine my oldest, he's more chill, won't really share much of what he's thinking unless asked directly. At the same time, I believe that he knows how to read the room 
And so he knows how to match back that energy. Out of each of the boys, most people would assume that my youngest gets spoken to the most because he's too expressive, he's too whiny, he's too soft, quote unquote. But in fact, unfortunately, I've seen in each of these boys, both have been judged for being too much, for not being enough, for not sharing enough, for sharing too much. Why do you feel this way? Why won't you tell me what you feel? And I'm not saying this is coming from me directly because best believe mama's coming in, I'm shutting it down. Who's ever coming after my children? But even in that, that is frowned upon because as a woman, here I am stepping in, undermining, not not letting boys be boys. And that there is the birth, in my eyes, the birth of toxic masculinity. There is a lack of environment and a lack of safe space that allows boys, young men, adolescent, and men in general, be open enough to be vulnerable and to express themselves, whether it is anger, a healthy expression of sadness, and even a healthier expression of excitement. And so it becomes toxic when there's pressure. And well, it becomes toxic when there's a perceived pressure for that child, man, young adolescent to behave in a certain way. And so the behavior itself can range from mental and physical toughness, aggression, you know, not displaying emotion, and simple things as making excuses by replying, well, I'm a man, what do you expect from me? It it gives this idea of manliness and, and in extreme measures, it perpetuates domination, homophobia, and aggression. If we take this one step further and throw in just some stressors that we know men of color in this country really face now, trauma and racism-related stressors, homelessness, mental illness, there's substance dependency, there's mass incarceration, police brutality, the list can really go on. At the end of the day, all of these stressors degrade their emotional and mental well-being to various degrees. Pair that with social norms and ideas about what it really means to be strong as a man and what is required. This really, it, it increases the chance of depression just seeking in because if I'm, if I'm, Dealing with all of these factors, am I really a man? If I'm feeling depressed, am I really a man? I believe men may hold on to the masculine ideas as a way to just fight against the emotional distress. It's a band-aid. It's a cover-up. I read in an article in the Washington Post that for high-achieving Black men, more success actually increases the likelihood that they will experience symptoms of depression and anxiety. (laughs) And even that right there is mind-blowing. So 
there's really no winning at this game. You can be very successful and just as depressed and anxious. Or be dealing with a whole host of systematic issues and just be as depressed and anxious and sad and still be expected to be a man. So let's pause right there. Really digest this last idea and then try to tie it all back to the Drake and Kanye beef. I must say, I really enjoyed both albums for what they are. I think they both equally represented the artist. And really, as a listener, I felt that I connect to both in different settings. Of course, for Kanye, I was able to understand in a more mental health lens. I saw a man who was really just sharing with the world, this is what I'm really experiencing. This is what and who I am. This is Kanye. This is not what you see on the tabloids. This is not what you hear in the papers. And really just helping people to understand whatever it is that he was going through, being married and dealing with the Kardashians. That's really what it was. I thought it was amazing work. I really was impressed in his ability to just be vulnerable and say things that I used to cry about. I just find laughable. To me, relatable. And then we have Drake, who, in my opinion, is the exact opposite because he's full of emotions and he's always singing them in his songs and rapping about them and also just sharing a whole host of stories of the women that he encounters and the heartbreak that he endures and just saying, yeah, like, I can be messy, but I still have feelings. Again, equally, both great albums. I've listened to them both in different settings. I enjoyed them. So on The Shade Room, there was a poll taken asking the audience to decide whose album was better, Drake versus Kanye, and why. And of course, I just had to take a peek and see what everyone was talking about. I was actually surprised to see that the Drake's numbers were higher. And then I I had to take take a second and realize, as I read through the comments, duh, Drake's numbers were higher. People love the mess. People love the drama. One of the listeners described the Donda album as a bunch of riddles and how it was unrelatable to its audience. They then went on to say, Drake's style of music delivers the same theme, but it's overwhelmed by poor decisions with women, heartbreak, and isolation. And so... I was like, so does Kanye's music. Without the heavy promotion of drugs, sex, and money, he still talks about being overwhelmed by poor decisions with the women in his life and feeling heartbreak and feeling isolation just in a different manner. Either or, both are great representations of toxic masculinity because both men are sharing through their music, this inability to really express healthy emotion and really have lasting connections with relationships and partners. And then to take it a further step deeper, 
both, rather than discussing their shit like men, would rather much just throw their, their beef into a song because it sells, it stirs up conversation, and I don't know, because it, there's this expectation of having rap beefs in the industry. That, to me, is is just insane because there is now a whole host of other celebrities and, and rap artists who are now a part of this drama, and they're all men, and I'm just like... Everyone needs to sit down, act like adults, and address their issues. Let's stop being babies, guys. Really. (laughs) What I've come to understand for both of these artists throughout the years is that each have been really just viciously attacked by the critics, the tabloids, and even the fans for being perceived as too soft, for being perceived as too emotional, for the stigmas of mental health. Each are always picked and prod about for not being masculine enough and not exhibiting many of the hyper-masculine characteristics and qualities that are just idolized about gangster rappers. Neither Kanye or Drake is a gangster rapper. That's not who they are. In my, in my eyes. And to me, that is the root of the problem. That is the underlying issue when it comes to toxic masculinity because we have two rap artists, two rap models who could be potentially perceived as threatening and dangerous regardless of their economic success, regardless of their personal ambitions. They are still black men. And it's scary how easily they're all a part of the same mindset, a mindset that ultimately destroys our black boys, that ultimately destroys our young adolescents and our black men. It's a it's a fear that really is just continuous denial of one's humanity. It's a fear of weakness. It's a fear of helplessness. It's a fear of this worsened oppression. That is the issue, not the music, not the artist. So what exactly is the solution? I think the best way to start in any way of working towards a goal is addressing what the issue is. And so for this matter, addressing masculine norms to improve life is where we start. We need to begin to remove the the box that creates this fitting of idea of hyper-masculine men. And quickly so that we can really create a culture of awareness so that people can really understand what drives domestic and sexual violence, what makes aggression look like a reasonable way to solve conflict, what what forbids men to seek health care, what allows men to utilize drugs and alcohol to suppress things that they're feeling. That's the toxic masculinity that I'm really, really trying to address. It's amazing how much the media and our music really can impact our thinking if we would just take the second to 
process what we're listening and process what we're seeing. I'm sure everyone is just saying, oh, it's just an, it's just an album. It's just music. It, it's no big deal. But it's really a lot going on. And I just encourage everyone to pay attention, take your notes, stay grounded, invite love around yourself and those amongst you and continue to create spaces for people who really need to be heard and to be loved because we're living in a culture of, I think, pain and sadness and people are trying to figure out the appropriate way to express themselves and especially coming out of pandemic where we were in such an isolating setting and just didn't have that opportunity to have human connection best believe there's going to be a lot of expression and not all expression is healthy expression so that's it for this episode uh in our next session, I'm going to have a really, really amazing friend and creative come onto the platform and and talk again more about our mental states and how we can just continue to do that shadow work on our healing journey. I don't want to give too much detail of who he is and what we're going to be discussing. However, just know that season two, it, it keeps going. As always, queens recognize queens. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me. I am your host, Latina, and this is Crown Thoughts, the podcast.